Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today, Morgan Workamp, who is the Assistant Dean of Undergraduate Admissions at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Morgan, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm so great. It is uh, a beautiful 70-degree day here. It is warm. <laughs> it is Friday. I mean, where else would I want to be? That's fantastic. And we can't wait to hear about all the wonderful information you have to share about Wake Forest University. Mm. So let's get right to it, Morgan. Tell us about yourself and how did you end up as an admissions representative? Great question, John. Well, first, I was born, just joking, we'll, we'll, we'll jump a little bit ahead. I won't, I won't start that early. Um, the, the short answer is um, I ended up attending Wake for graduate school. Um, so I attended a small liberal arts private college undergrad in my hometown of South Dakota. So I'm a first generation student. So that was just what you know you did. I just applied to one college and I went there and uh, was a biology and religion major. And then I had a mentor who had gone to Wake for grad school and they had a great divinity program and it was terrifying. I had never left home. I'm a twin. Family is huge to me. But, you know, I applied, I got in, I got to visit the campus and I realized I was moving across the country. And so, um, that, I mean, natural follow-up is how do you do divinity school, then go into admissions. And I'm just going to keep that brief and say, I realized the importance of story and helping people find a way to tell their story. And that's what college admissions is. It's finding a way to see a student through the story that they're telling and advocate for that. And so it was just a really natural segue for me after I graduated grad school. Well, that's a great introduction. Thank you so much. And we are so excited to hear about Wake Forest University. So Morgan, tell us, what does Wake Forest University offer both inside and outside of the classroom that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess starting first on the inside, you know, what, what are those things that you really get at Wake? I think 
we we in our office like to call it the Goldilocks phenomenon <laughs> of being, you know, not too big, not too small, just right. And it really does feel that way. Wake Forest is a majority undergrad institution. And, you know, when you're in high school, it's kind of like, why is that important? And the importance is that when you come here as an undergrad, you're not competing with time, with your professors, with opportunities to get involved in research, internships, because the school is majority undergrad. I mean, the resources are for you. What that means is on the student and the social side is that you and your peers end up being so much more collaborative and not competitive because the pie isn't cut so many ways. So I think that is just refreshing to come to a campus where really you can do so many different things. And I think it's what makes Wake stand out, you know, having these small classes, having every class taught by a Wake Forest professor, typical class size being 20 to 25 students, and getting to research as early as your freshman year. I mean, what, what more could you want? But then on the outside of the campus aspect, I'm constantly surprised when families come and visit and they say, oh, we just walked around campus and three students stopped to help us. Oh, and a professor stopped to help us. And they actually took us to where we needed to go. And wow, students just look so happy on campus. And I think that's this weird and lovely paradox is that we are a competitive college academically, and yet students put just as much attention into their social lives and that social well-being. You know, they are students, but they're also young adults who are growing and trying to understand, you know, themselves. And so the typical Wake Forest student on top of a typical class load is involved in anywhere from three to four clubs and activities. It's usually intramurals. It's potentially Greek life, which is popular on our campus, um, getting involved in service. It's just our students are already advocating for that personal time, and it's really built in to kind of what we encourage students to do. Students aren't in the library 24-7. Our library closes on Friday at 5 p.m. That's our way of saying, get out of here. <laughs> Go enjoy your Friday night. And I kind of love that. So that's, that's a little bit of the best of both worlds, academically but also socially. Well, that's a terrific introduction. And I love that you mentioned that students are happy on campus. And that is true. And it's a testament to the great work that you do in admissions, but also as the overall university does in terms of keeping them happy. And I mentioned this because I read a statistic recently that 94% of the freshman class returned this year, which is an astonishing mm -hmm. statistic. And again, it's a testament to the great work you do in admissions to get the right students on your campus, but then mm -hmm. the atmosphere, the family feeling that you create and foster to keep students happy, as you mentioned, and ultimately um, keep them on campus. So thank you so much for that introduction. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course, speaking of the freshman class, mm -hmm. Morgan, what is the average profile of the current freshman class, again, in terms of their GPA, SAT, ACT scores, and anything else that you collect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I can say um, I have actually numbers for, if that this is okay, John, for what this current cycle was. So it's not sure. even freshman yet. It's the hopefully, you know, the incoming freshman sure. who we've admitted. Um, so this year, what we saw typical profile was that 96% of our admitted students were in the top 20% of their class. Wow. 86% of them were in the top 10%. And that was across regular decision and early decision. So great kind of straight across the board. Um, 
that's the typical GPA. And then I'm not sure if you had asked about ACT, SAT average, but I'll share that as well, just for, again, this current cycle. Um, That average was 33 ACT and then a 1470 Mm -hmm. SAT. Um, Yep. So that's the average that we saw this year. So incredible students. (laughs) (laughs) They sure are. Thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) What advice would you give a student if they fall lower than the current freshman class average, should they apply, and how can they enhance their overall application? This is a great question. Um, I get this so often because sometimes students think if they fall outside of the average, they fall outside of the middle 50, that the college isn't an option for them. And I think what I always love to say is that's just not true, because it would be true if we were only looking at your GPA and your test scores But gosh, that would be a very boring process, and it wouldn't really give us a good sense (laughs) of who students are. I mean, you said this before, thinking about retention of our first-year class. um, A lot of that is because we think so thoughtfully about who these students are, what they're bringing to campus, how they can change our campus, but also how they can learn from our campus. And so it's this mutual exchange. And so if a student, if Wake ends up on a student's top five list, I would say definitely apply and know that there are other ways that you can advocate for yourself. Wake is a college that has a holistic review process. I used air quotes there for you all who are listening um, (laughs) because I know that feels like a buzzword. What does that mean? What is holistic? Is that just a nice way of trying to make it sound better than what you're actually doing? And, and, and luckily like there's, there's real meaning to that for us. It means that we're not just looking at students' numbers. We want to get to know them. We want to see what they care about and who they are. And those are the best students to advocate for in the admissions process. And so for Wake, you can show that through your personal essay. We also Unlike a lot of other colleges, we have optional supplemental questions. We have four short answer and or fill in the blank questions that you can choose to do. You can do one of them. You can do two of them. But that's a great way to tell us something different that we might not see in your application. We also have an optional interview. We'll be getting to this a little bit later. Um, And I can break down a little bit more about that. Um, But again, Think about your application process as a way to really kind of combine all of these pieces, the story you want to tell about yourself and tell the things that you really love about yourself that you feel like we should know. And so I would say those students definitely should apply and know that there are other ways to make them strong candidates in our process. Well, I think it's a great answer and it answers the question if in fact you fall short what can you do to enhance your application? One of the things you mentioned, Morgan, are the optional supplemental questions. We've talked about the fact that sometimes optional does not mean optional because students, it's an opportunity for you to really talk again about your character, your personality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did you get a low grade perhaps in a course? Was there something going on in your life that prevented you from really putting your best foot forward at that point? Mm-hmm. So you ended up with a C plus or what have you. So that's great advice. And I hope that everyone understands that when a college or a university says that it's an optional essay, you really should take advantage and answer it just like you did your regular college essay. Don't take that supplemental as a, okay, I'll just put 10% of my effort into this mm-hmm. compared to what I did for the essay. 
no students. They read everything. So put your best foot forward with all of the essays, supplemental, even if they say optional and what have you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that, Morgan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. John, can I just quick add, add this to it? Because I yeah, sure. Because I agree with what you're saying um, with the sense of you see optional and you think, is it really optional? The one actual thing though I want to say is the, the, the big reason these supplements used to be required for us and what we realized is that they were a huge deterrent from certain students doing our application, students we wanted on our campus. Maybe they didn't have someone to help them like read over their supplements. Maybe they weren't uh, getting that preparation. And so knowing that the supplements, of course, if Wake is like on your top five list, you should probably at least do one or two of them. But I also want to be clear here that if you're not a strong writer, there's other ways that you can show us who you are. Think about the interview. Think about, you know, this past year we had an optional video response as well. I don't know if we'll have it next year. So, you know, just follow along with that. But that's to say these optional pieces are for you to self-advocate. But if there's a reason why you're not doing them, think about how you can kind of fulfill that spot or that that lack in another area. Um, so think about it like that way. It's more of a puzzle. We don't judge what isn't there. We judge what you show us. So show us something that really tells us who you are. Well, that's a great point. And I know that we're going to be talking about the interview, which is something that is part of the Wake Forest process if a student chooses, which is a great point. So if you choose not to do the optional essay at Wake Forest, you do have the opportunity to do an interview, which again goes back to the question, what can you do to enhance your overall application? So Morgan, mm -hmm. thank you so much. This is yeah, great information. And I, I'm so happy because I know it's helping so many students mm. and parents, which leads me to another question yeah. because I receive a lot of emails about the notion of test optional. And it seems that a lot <laughs> of people are really skeptical. Are they really test optional? Mm -hmm. And so my question to you, Morgan, is could you share with us the percentage of current student applicants that did not submit their test scores in their application. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so what I'll say is for um, this current cycle, 65% of our students were non-test submitters. Wow. And I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, you don't even have to submit a test score to be considered for merit-based aid. And what I, what I want to say to, to students and families is, one, it is understandable and it is fair to be doubtful about the test optional process. And I think it's, it's important to be maybe skeptical, but also to ask those questions of colleges who more recently went test optional, only because it takes a while for a college to understand for itself, okay, if we're if these are really optional, how how are we evaluating students, especially if it's a college that's getting a lot of applications? Luckily for us at Wake, we've been test optional since 2008. We were the <laughs> the first top 30 college to get test optional because of research we did on our campus. Like a professor did the research. We know test scores do not co correlate to a student's academic success or ability. And so it brings me both a lot of pride and a lot of excitement to say that if I don't see a test score on a, someone's uh, application, I, it doesn't even phase me. There is no, I am un, uh, so unfazed by that at this point. And I always tell students, if you're debating if you should submit a score, 
consider submitting a score you're proud of. Don't submit a score just to submit a score because again, we only see what you show us. So keep that in mind. Like what you share is what we see. But if we don't see it, then it's not it's not a negative two points. There is no point system to this process. <laughs> um, so hopefully, if you're considering Wake, you can totally trust that that process for us because we've just been doing it for so long. Well, you're doing an awesome job explaining the Wake Forest process. And again, I, I know that we have a lot more questions, but I just have yeah. to thank you. You're doing a great job. And so... Let I feel me... like I'm getting fired up, John. I'm sorry. I, like we, we see each other and I feel like I'm just getting giddy, but um, you're welcome. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. And that leads me to the next question. Morgan, do you recommend declaring a major on the application? What would be some benefits or negatives in doing so? Great question. So um, one big thing to know is that Wake, when you apply to the college, we don't have separate schools. You just apply to Wake Forest. Also, as a student, you cannot and you do not officially apply within your major interest until the end of your college sophomore year. Wow. You heard, I mean, wow. yeah, you heard me. That's, that's four academic semesters before you even officially declare. And so to answer this question, I'd like to say, no, we know when we're reading an application that the major you list that you, if you choose to list one, one might not be what you actually end up doing. If you don't list one, then, you know, we always joke the best major is undecided because, you know, you're probably going to change your minds, you know, constantly through the process. But um, I would say if, if you know what you want to study, it's, it's good to list it. Um, if you feel like that's adding to the narrative of who you are. You know, if, if you want to talk about in your, a supplemental essay, you know, we have a question, what's something that you're curious about? And if there you decide to talk about AI, you know, then seeing a comm sci major as your, you know, selected or intended major would make sense. But don't feel like you have to include that. I would say it is always nice in the application to kind of get a sense of what the student is passionate about academically somewhere within it. But it's not a bad thing to see undecided or to see a specific major. Well, I appreciate that uh, information as so many people yeah. struggle with that. What do I major in? And even when they're on campus, mm -hmm. first year students, even second year students, and you think about the number of students that end up changing their majors. So I really like mm -hmm. that approach where you don't have to declare until after your sophomore year, like you said, for college mm -hmm. semesters, which is uh, a, an interesting approach to the overall process. Yeah. And the nice thing is even after you declare, it doesn't keep you from taking classes in other departments because we are liberal right. arts, you know, right. Um, 90 percent of our students have more than one area of interest. So what I mean by that is 90 percent of students have a major and a minor, a right. major and a double minor, a double major. I mean, it, it's a it's a campus that encourages that type of curiosity and exploration. We also know it takes time to figure out what makes you click. How how could you know if you want to be an anthropology major if you've never taken an anthropology course right. or you've never taken a linguistics course. Right. So don't put pressure on yourself to figure it out. You'll, you'll get there. <laughs> Those are such great pieces of advice. Thank you again, Morgan. If a student applies early decision, is there a better chance they will be admitted? What advice would you give a student considering applying ED, which of course we know is binding? 
Yeah, I I get this question so frequently, of course, because Wake Forest does have early decision, both early decision one and early decision two. And I think this question we kind of need to open up, not just for Wake, but think about region or not even regionally. We need to think about nationally. Nationally, selective colleges who have early decision are enrolling roughly to half their class ED. I mean, it, that is just the change that's happening. And so I think a, a good question to, to think about is, what does that mean for a current student today who's wanting to go to a selective college? So I would say, when you think about filling a class, of course, there's a slight statistical advantage to applying early decision. The college still has their entire class open. They have as many seats as they want to give. So that can be advantageous to you. Also, the college knows that you're 100% committed to being there. If you take anything away, it's to know that colleges right now are rewarding decisiveness. They want to see that students know where they want to go. And even if you don't apply ED, there's a way that you can make sure a college knows you want to be there. And we'll get to that later. Nudge, nudge. Um, (laughs) But... In the, in the ED process, it can be scary because it is binding. And so I think when you're evaluating if that's something you want to do, ask yourself what piece of that binding process makes you nervous. One, are you unsure if, if it's your top choice? If that's it, then yeah, don't apply ED. Strong students are strong students. So don't, don't feel like you have to apply ED somewhere if you don't really know where you want to be. Secondly, if it's financial aid, Consider applying to colleges that meet 100% of your demonstrated financial need, like Wake Forest. If you have financial need, every college is required to have a net price calculator. You could go on, add your your information, and you could actually get a real estimate of what your financial aid offer will look like. That could be amazing. Even if you are worried about tuition, if you do the net price calculator and you're like, wow, Wake is going to meet all of my financial need, then you should have zero fear of applying early decision. Also, if that still scares you, reach out to this college's financial aid office. Get the help you need if ED is something you're wanting to do, but you're hesitant because those resources are there for you. You just need to be able to ask about them and then to move forward in the process. And so that's what I would say about the ED process as a whole, John. Well, I appreciate that insight, and I love that you mentioned the net price calculator, which is something that every college and university is supposed to have on their website. But I also appreciate what you said about, hey, call the financial aid office. If you have questions, and Mm -hmm. a lot of people have questions about financial aid, call the office and ask the Mm -hmm. people that are going to ultimately make decisions in terms of your financial aid package Mm -hmm. and um, admissions as well. So as a follow-up to the question on ED, what other ways do you offer students to apply for admissions at Wake Forest University, of course? Mm -hmm. So I mentioned this um, before. So we have ED1, so early decision one, early decision two, and regular decision. We do not have early action, so keep that in mind. Our ED1 process is unique in that it is rolling. What that means is that our application, like every college, most colleges, goes live in August. That means, say that you've known that Wake is your first choice since your junior year. As soon as that application comes out, 
believe me, students do this, you complete that application as soon as you can, of course, being thoughtful and you know, taking the time to work on your essays and whatnot. As soon as you hit submit on that application and we get all of your required recommendation letters, as soon as your application is complete, you will get a decision back from us in six to eight weeks. Wow. So that means if you apply and your application is completed in September, September 1st, you get your decision <laughs> six to eight weeks later, which is kind of exciting, sure. you know, to, to already be past that process. Um, so yeah, that, that's ED1. That, that process is rolling. ED2 is not rolling, but you find out mid-February. So ED2, early decision two, and regular decision have the same deadline of January 1st. But early decision two students find out around February 15th. So not rolling, but you still find out before the regular decision students. You know, regular decision is the, the no, normal way that you would apply to a college, not committing, just kind of seeing how many options you have. You know, you might want to apply regular decision to multiple colleges and kind of compare your offers when you get them. Fantastic. Thank you for that explanation. I really appreciate mm -hmm. it. How often should a student visit campus and do you keep track of such things, whether in person or virtual? Mm -hmm. I guess this, of course, falls under demonstrated interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I always laugh because I, 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 I love to kind of turn this on its head and say demonstrated interest, but also genuine interest. <laughs> That's really what we want to get to know. How truly interested are you in the college? And um Wake Forest is a school that tracks demonstrated interests. And of course I'm biased, but <laughs> I think that's amazing because it means that we want to allow you opportunities to self-advocate outside of more than just your application. And with the pandemic, it's been, you know, that's changed a lot of the ways we think about demonstrated interest to where now Demonstrate interest can be attending in a virtual event. Um, Wake Forest offers throughout the summer and the fall weekly distinctively Wake events. You know, these are events where you get to hear from admissions, current student. You can also do, you know, any other virtual opportunity we have. And those things are all a way that we can see that you're interested. We do track it. We also go further than that in saying that if you email your regional dean, like, the reason I'm here today is because I am the regional dean um, <laughs> for everybody, you know, in the upstate Long Island area. Um, and if you email me, guess what? I, I forward that email to the site that your application's at. And so every email gets added to your application. And so basically, I can self-advocate for all of my students only as far as they can self-advocate for themselves. So that doesn't mean you need to come to college for a visit. That's ridiculous to assume that every student needs to, to buy a flight and go somewhere. That's just unrealistic. Right. Um, and it's right. not fair, to be honest. Absolutely. It's just not fair to students. And so know that there are other ways to show that you're excited about a college other than stepping foot on the campus. Of course, we'd love for you to visit, but that is not, again, no ranking system in terms of what is better. They are all showing interest. Well, thank you so much for that explanation, Morgan. I really appreciate it. Do you then conduct on-site interviews, whether it be in person or virtual with prospective students? And if so, what advice would you give a student preparing for that interview? 
Yeah. So Wake Forest does offer um, optional interviews to students. And what I like to say is uh, this is another great example of it being truly optional. Um, We've changed the way we've offered these in the sense of if you want to do an interview, you have to apply by a certain deadline, even if you're applying regular decision, and then you request an interview. This is our way of making sure students who really want to do the interview have the best access to getting one. And honestly, again, my advice is if you feel like you really can talk about yourself in an interview and you shine in an interview, then consider doing the interview. But if you're like, that makes me uncomfortable and terrified, then (laughs) don't do it. Like, just don't even put yourself through that. Why would you do that? Um, So we offer both in-person and virtual interviews. And we ask you questions that only you can know about yourself. What are classes you're interested in? Tell us about a book you've read. You know, we might like add different nuances to that, but it's really just trying to get a sense of, who are you? What do you like about school? What are things you've worked on? What are things you, you're involved in? So again, it's just a way to get to know you better. And so if you're debating and doing the interview, think about how can you be sharing something in the interview that might not come up in your application. So that would be my advice. Well, that is great advice. And another part of the application is, in fact, the college essay. So, Morgan, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? And when you read them, you thought, you know, this student really needs to come to school at Wake Forest University. So firstly, I'll say those are, I mean, of course, some of my favorite essays to read when I think to myself, wow, I want to be friends with this person. (laughs) Um, You know, this year it's been great. I've had some students who I just had uh, lunch with a student two days ago who I'd interviewed. It was my first year in this position and I'd interviewed and he's going to be a senior next year. And it's just, you know, it's amazing because I remember that interview and I remember his essay. But um, circle. (laughs) So, yeah, this is always a tricky question, though, to talk about, you know, what's a what makes a good essay? Because I'm hesitant to give exact examples because I don't want people to think, oh, that's the answer. Now, how can I just replay certain things to basically be the same thing, but my own? And so I want to try and answer this question, John, in a way that talks about kind of what are some tips to thinking about what to do with your essay, but also kind of what not to do. And so the essays that always end up resonating with me are the ones where students realize the need to be both narrative, but also reflective. I think the worst thing you can do as a student is write an essay that is 100% narrative. This is the best example of that. ACL injury essay. I read (laughs) so many of these. That's not to say that it can't be a good essay, but it goes like this. I was in this sport. I love this sport. I got on the team, really excited, worked really hard, injured, got out my, my senior year, had to reevaluate my interests, decided I liked this thing. And I get why people write about that because a sports injury, when a sport is your passion, is earth shattering. It is world altering. Your entire, like who you are, this thing that is such a part of your identity has been shifted and put into question. So I understand why students tell that story, but I want them to tell it in a way that better advocates for them. So the example I gave is narrative. It's where you're talking, I did this, then I did this, and then this, where 
the way that we really get to know you, I mean, what's going to make that essay be different than any other sports injury essay? And that's where we need to see your reflection. How are you thinking through this? What did it make you feel? What are, you know, just what are you processing at that time? And so that's something I always love to recommend in this process. I also think that students and, and parents probably feel that your personal essay, considering that some colleges, they only ask for a personal essay, they feel like they need to wow. This needs to be the magnum opus. This needs to be a story they've never heard before. Well, yikes. <laughs> that is a terrible amount of pressure. I don't even know what I would write about. And so I was talking to a colleague about this question this morning, and we kept circling around was this idea of standing out by not standing out. That seems counterintuitive, but what I mean by that is don't feel like your college essay needs to be about something deeply traumatic, something painful about a family member, um, something that, you know, you're putting so much pressure to come off a certain way that it's inauthentic to you. The, the best essays, whether it is kind of, you know, you're telling about one moment, or maybe you're telling an essay that's multiple, each paragraph is kind of a different moment. I feel like the best essays are the ones where I can actually almost hear the voice of the student. If, if you're naturally funny or humorous, let that come through. If you're someone who's poetic and reflective, let that shine through. It doesn't even matter what you're talking about, but it needs to be something that, a, that only you could share, where if your name got erased from that essay, someone in your high school would pick it up and know that it was you. And, the, and the, so that can be any, anything. And so how, how do you show us something we don't see in your application? Right. You know, if you right. please, you know, I guess this is the only other thing, please don't write an essay. That's, you know, if you are love service, I, I love that too, but don't write an essay where it's paragraph by paragraph of the different service things you're involved in, because that's your resume. That's your, that's your activity sheet, you know, do something that really advocates for you. This is your moment to show you. And that doesn't have to be something spectacular. It just needs to be you. Well, that's great advice. And I love the way you describe the ACL essay, but also the service essay. Don't just list what happened. You know, in terms of service, that's something, as you said, it's on your activity sheet, which of course is another part of the application. With the ACL example, a lot of students, to your point, describe what happened but you want to hear what was their thought process? Mm -hmm. How did they reflect on that? So that you get more insight in terms of who they are as a person, perhaps their character, perhaps more about their personality, which is something that is not so easily found in other parts of the application. Mm -hmm. So Morgan, again, I really appreciate that insight. And I know it's very helpful to students and their parents. Mm -hmm. Another piece of the application, of course, are the teacher letters of recommendation. So in terms of teacher letters of recommendation, what are you looking for to help get a better picture of the candidate? And again, are there any examples of letters that really stuck out and made an impression on you? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think the one, the, the one thing, and when I read this question, this is the first thing that came to my mind was when teachers write recommendations and they write praise for things that should just be the bare minimum. 
they complete their assignments on time. They're always present in class. They're always speaking up in class. <laughs> I, you know, that's great. But like, that is the, that is what I would hope, you know, for any student. And I, and I'm not, right. I'm not digging on teachers there. Like I get it. They, they work so hard. They write so many recs. So that's like, of course. I'm not trying to, to slam anybody there, but I'm saying, of course. um, for me, those teacher recs that stand out are the ones that give specific examples, even if it's just one specific interaction or moment that can speak to something, again, that we didn't see in the application, whether it's the student's, you know, passion or interest or their character. Again, that's what the teacher recs are for. It's for character, but also how are they as a student in the classroom? And sure, you can say that they are there and they're present and they're completing their work, but is there another way through an example that you can tell that story? Well, that's great advice. And I love that you talked about speaking to a specific example. So students, when you ask your teachers to write the letter of recommendation, and if there was a specific that occurred, don't be bashful to ask the teacher to write about that specific example. The worst thing that, that, that could happen is that they say no, which is fine. But if there is something that happened, perhaps you took an initiative in a club, perhaps you took some type of lead in your class, ask the teacher if they would be willing to write about that. Because again, that's not something that is necessarily present in other parts of your application. So you have to think in terms of whatever you can do to enhance that overall application. It's a marketing tool, students. You want to put your best foot forward in the transcript, in your essay, in your activity sheet, teacher letters of recommendation. All of this is part of that marketing piece. So I hope that this is helpful to students. Morgan, you have been terrific. Mm. In closing, what are three top pieces of advice or recommendations you would give to students and their parents getting ready to apply to college? Oh, this is this is such a fun one <laughs> and also kind of like a wow, what what are those three things that if I could go back in a time machine or if I could continue to like to you know <laughs> tell students consistently and I think the first one is going to be that that college that you have pictured in your mind as the only place that you will be successful and the only place that you will be happy please throw that away draw it on a piece of paper and burn it. <laughs> I mean, like, and what I mean by that is I'm not saying don't follow your dreams. I'm not saying reach for whatever college you want to be at. But I want to say that the college isn't going to determine your future. You are. You, you're the piece that makes a college what it is. Like, give yourself right. recognition. Like, I just think, students give colleges all the power when like you can determine so much of your happiness by by looking into colleges that you might have not been considering there are colleges who want you on their campus so just don't question your worth in this process and how essential you are to the college like you're the reason we have this process so that's my my first piece of advice um, to any student you know and and to parent parents if your student knows where they want to be, how can you be not the quarterback, but the coach and helping them get there? How can you take a back seat to where they want to be? This process is hard enough for them. So just let them steer for a change. Um, 
you know, it's, it's scary. I can't imagine, but they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. So that would be my first piece of advice. And my second one, and this is my personal buzzword, and I've said it so many times, but I just believe in it so much. Self-advocate, self-advocate. Those top five colleges that are on your list, reach out to them. Students, you be the one to reach out to them. You be the one to ask questions. You be the one to find out if you have a regional dean. You can email me. (laughs) I respond to all of my emails. I want to get to know you. I want to self-advocate for you. So know that, again, there's more that you can do in this process, especially for those colleges that are your tops. Just, yeah, you got this. Um, and then the the last thing, and this is more about thinking about your application as a whole, and that is think about your application, both in the micro, but also in the macro. Don't think about it as just all one or all the other. I think sometimes students will think, oh, well, my, my resume is one thing or my extracurriculars and my essay is one thing separately. And they answer all of those things kind of as pieces without thinking about how the whole is really who they are. And so, you know, take notes. What are the things about your college application that you want to reveal about yourself? And how can these different pieces all kind of come together as a puzzle to reveal that? Well, those are tremendous pieces of advice. Morgan, I cannot thank you enough for your time, your insight. This has been an amazing conversation. We really appreciate your time and expertise today. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Yeah, go Deeks. (laughs) (laughs) Go Deeks. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.